Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Hey, MD Nation, this is your host, Dan Mater. Before we get into the show, I want to talk to you about a sponsor of ours. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by The Gallery. Based out of New York, The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we are unable to travel, this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, The Gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the code 15OFF. Just go to thegallery.com. That's T-H-E-G-A-L-R-Y.com so your wall will never be boring again. Remember, promo code 15OFF. And now for the show. Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And hello, MD Nation, and welcome back to the MD's fantasy football show As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are back with the best five, bus five, sleeper five, running backs on the day. And we have, this is always one of our favorite popular episodes out there. Everybody wants to know exactly what running backs to look out for, what running backs to target and everything like that. And we got a lot of things we're going to get into. And of course, we got the mailbag segment at the end. If you ever want to get on one of these shows, mailbag segments that we have every Friday episode, all you have to do is contact us through multiple ways. MD Nation hotline 609-362-2480. You call that, leave a comment, and we will play your question live on the show. Or if you want to just contact us through social media, and get answered by us. Whether we answer you on the show or answer you on there, everybody will get an answer from me to all of their questions. You can go to, on Twitter or on Facebook at BellyUpMDFFShow 
for both of those or email the show directly mdsfantasyfootball at gmail.com and uh, one of the big things that are really popular right now is the updated rankings that I have up on the website at www.bellyupfantasysports.com of course standard half point full point PPR all available to you guys you can go ahead and check that out before we get into uh, your drafts which should all be coming up some drafts going on right now we're getting to that mid-August point where a lot of people are deciding, do they want to draft early? Do they want to draft a little bit closer to the start of the season? Remember, the start of the season starts a little bit later this year than it normally does because it doesn't start until September 10th, just because the way the uh, calendar works out. It's usually the second Thursday of uh, September, normally speaking. So that's all going to be coming up really, really soon. I, you know, if you want my opinion or you want my advice, commissioners out there, uh, for when you guys think you should be able to have your drafts, I would say no earlier than late August, especially this year in particular. Guys are just starting to practice. Some teams still have not yet. Some teams aren't going to start until next week. Uh, You really want to try to get these guys into training camp and get an idea of, all right, who's impressing so far? Who, you know, who are the coaching staff, uh, uh, you know, praising? Who are they maybe have some questions about wondering if they actually stayed in shape during this entire time and also just give yourself a chance to get through that first week because that's when you're going to get the majority of injuries when training camp is back in full swing plus everything going on with covid you just want to give yourself as much time as possible this is one of those years where i would try to wait until the week of the season starting to draft if i possibly can but if your league does not want to wait that long the end of august really should be the earliest that you are drafting because you're drafting at this point you are drafting in an area of a lot of unknowns as you get closer to the season, and it can really ruin somebody's team for the year before we even get to week one. That's why it's imperative that you do not draft too early. So that's my advice for you commissioners out there if you were wondering about that. Uh, but before we go ahead and get into uh, the offseason notes to kick off the show, I do want to talk to you guys about a big-time sponsor for us called the DFS Doctors. We're going to be having these guys on throughout the year this season as we have a DFS Special Edition episode in the works. They are the daily fantasy sports experts guiding you to be a winner in the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB. The DFS Doctors are a team with seven-plus years of experience in DFS who conduct comprehensive data analysis using advanced metrics to provide you with high-quality FanDuel and DraftKings lineups. Their goal is for you to win big without having to spend hours researching yourself. Now, if you the promo code BELLYUP, you will get 15% off your next subscription. So check them out at the DFS Doctors and DM them on Twitter or at CouchSmackSports.com. So that's that's a real they they do a lot of great things. Like I said, I'm very excited. We're going to have them on the show a couple times this year and start to uh, branch out into DFS things such as that. But let's go ahead and some off-season notes. Not a lot of heavy hitting fantasy notes yet. Uh, there's some tidbits out there here and there, like Will Fuller gaining up 190 pounds. That could be interesting. Coaches talking about you know Cam Akers. Maybe he gets an early. Maybe he gets a, a shot at some early playing time, which I don't think is much of a. Uh, much of a news break, and we're going to get into why that is later on in the show because we are talking running backs anyway. But one thing we do have to look at is Lamar Miller signs a one-year contract with the New England Patriots. I don't know what this means for Lamar Miller in particular, if it means anything at all for him. I'm curious to see what it is he has coming off that Achilles injury, what he's going to be able to do, what he, what he could possibly even produce, or if he's just there to be an extra body because it's sounding more and more 
like the possibility of Sony Michelle winding up on the pup list and having to miss the first six weeks of the season. So this might just be a depth move. Not that they didn't already have a lot of depth, which is why I was a little bit confusing because technically still have guys like Rex Burkhead on the roster. And that's after you get past Damian Harris and uh, James White, who are already lining up behind Sony Michelle as it was. So why they need a yet another body, I'm not entirely sure. That's also why I don't know unless Lamar Miller is able to go out there in practice and show that he is his former self pre-Achilles injury all of a sudden. I, I don't know how much he's really going to be able to produce and put out there. He would really have to be a top-notch of his game in order to have a shot, I believe, of actually being in line for any real significant work. Uh, if Sony Michelle does wind up, in fact, going on to the PUP 1, the rankings will be updated, of course. Uh, we didn't touch them yet because we still just have a lot of things that are unconfirmed as of this moment when it comes to the New England Patriots backfield. But if that was to happen, I would imagine that you would see a little bit of a tick up for James White, but mostly you would see Damian Harris now finally, no, I shouldn't say finally because it's only been a year, but be given the opportunity to take over that role as the main bell cow back who's going to get rotated with James White and maybe to a lesser degree Rex Burkhead. We'll see what happens with Lamar Miller. He's one of those guys that I got to really see get in the training camp, actually practice, show what he has before I have any confidence that he could, one, make the team or even be a producer uh, on the other side of that. The other couple things that we just have in the offseason notes for today, uh, Travis Travis Kelsey signing his extension. That just came out this morning that, that made it official. We're still waiting on the confirmed details of that deal. And George Kittle signs a five-year, $75 million contract. That happened yesterday. Nothing really fantasy-worthy here other than if you are in Dynasty Leagues, you know these guys are going to be locked into their teams for a really long time and are probably going to be the tight end one and two in fantasy football for a really long time as a result, too. Now, there are some other offseason notes, but like I said, because we're talking running backs today, they're going to be incorporated throughout the show. So let's all go ahead and dive in. Now, we like I said, we got the best five, we got the bus five, we got the sleeper five running backs. We're going to be talking about all the way through. We always kick this off with the best five. And always keep in mind that when we're talking about these rankings, we're talking about it from a half point PPR standpoint. Uh, this is the industry leading way where most of you are in those leagues. Obviously, full point PPR standard. Like I said, the rankings are up on the website, bellyupfantasysports.com. You can go ahead and check them out. Uh, for yourself if you want more guidance there. But when we go break through these down, we're breaking through from a half-point PPR standpoint. Number five on the list for the best five. Shouldn't come as much of a shock. This is pretty much in line with what mostly, pe- what mostly people have, and that's Dalvin Cook here. Uh, we all know Dalvin Cook is is one of these guys. All these all these five guys that we're going to talk about all have the potential to be top three or dare I say, even have the potential to usurp Christian McCaffrey. Not expecting them to usurp Christian McCaffrey. Wouldn't bet money on anybody else usurping Christian McCaffrey as the RB1, but have the potential if things were to go right. Because we saw what Dalvin Cook could be last year when he's on the field getting the workload that he was getting in that situation. He was the RB2 right behind Christian McCaffrey pretty much the entire way up until getting his shoulder banged up. But we know that offense fits him perfectly. We know they use him as a bell cow back. He's an explosive back. He's going to get the passing work. There's nothing not to like about Dalvin Cook. The only hesitation, of course, is always going to be injuries with him. It's not something that you just get over. Now, last year was a success in the sense that he did not have a soft tissue injury, which has been his biggest problem heading into 
from college into the season has, is what has caused him to miss the majority of his game since coming into the NFL. Um, shoulder issues, especially particularly the one that he has, those heal over time, and those are things that you don't necessarily, necessarily see a large amount of recurring uh injuries take place with that so just because he had the shoulder injury it's not like a soft tissue injury is, is basically what i'm trying to say with the shoulder injury that's something that you can recover from get over and then very well may never have the same issue ever again not that you won't but you may never have it uh, the soft tissue injuries unless you are constantly doing preventative measures those are things that tend to crop up and recur over and over and over again and while it was nice to see that whatever he did in the off-season workout they talked a lot about changing it up did wind up helping him with the soft tissue injuries last year. It's still only one year in the NFL where he's been able to escape that plague. It's something that I do I do worry about. Dalvin Cook is not a big guy. He's not he's he's got a good size, of course, but he's not a he's not a huge guy. He's not a tank. He's not a guy if you keep giving him the amount of work that you're giving him that I have the utmost confidence that he'll definitely be able to hold up. He's elusive. He does a pretty good job of not taking big hits. But because he's so dependent on his speed, on his quickness, making sure his hamstrings, his quads, his, and all those soft tissue injuries, making sure that those do not prevent him from getting on the field is always going to be a big concern, especially with a guy who has a history of them. So obviously that's why I have him number five and not in the top four with some of these other guys. But the obviously the offense, the talent it's it's all right there we all know this and and when we're talking about the best five we're nitpicking right we're finding reasons why one should be above the other because when it comes down to it these guys are elite level superstar talents they are the focal points of their offenses and the their the potential is through the roof the ceiling is through the roof for all five of these guys so you got to nitpick and dalvin cook that's why he falls number five because it's an injury concern and that can be a pretty risky move especially when you're going in the first round so that's why he falls number five here now number four mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner I've got a lot more uh, backlash on this number four guy than I thought I was going to, uh, having him number four, that is. And that's Saquon Barkley. Uh, a lot of people seem to be upset that he is not number two, or uh, some people even have him number one and seem to be more okay with that than having him number four, which makes no sense because there's no reason, rhyme or reason to think Chris to go into this season not expecting Christian McCaffrey to be number one. Yeah, spoiler alert, he is our number one on our best five today. But yeah, Saquon Barkley, yes, look, Giants, Jason Garrett, he's going to get all the kinds of volume in the world. Is there a coaching staff out there? Was there a situation out there that he was not going to get all the volume in the world? Did he not get all the volume in the world with Pat Shermer, who to me is a much better offensive mind than a Jason Garrett is to begin with? So I, this idea that somehow Jason Garrett comes in and boosts Saquon Barkley's value, I don't really understand because I don't know any situation out there where Saquon wasn't staring down the barrel at getting as many carries and as many targets as anybody could possibly force feed him the ball. The offense is his. The offense flows through Saquon. 
You have Daniel Jones, where the jury is still kind of out what kind of quarterback he is going to be. You have some good weapons, but a lot of guys who can't stay healthy, can't stay on the field. Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Evan Ingram. This offense flows through Saquon Barkley. Always has been, and it doesn't matter who the coaching staff was going to be, always would have been. And like I said, I think Pat Shermer's a much better offensive mind and puts his team in much better positions to be able to score more consistently than Jason Garrett does. Jason Garrett's notoriously conservative, uh, notoriously uncreative. I mean, that's why they kept bringing in different offensive coordinators every other year in Dallas. That's why when they finally landed on Kellen Moore and saw this offense, saw the Dallas Cowboys offense go to a whole new level uh, in general, he winds up keeping his job as the offensive coordinator while Jason Garrett gets fired. I. I don't credit Jason Garrett with anything they were able to accomplish last season. That was all Kellen Moore's play calling. So I don't know what about Jason Garrett coming in the offensive coordinator that suddenly gives Saquon Barkley this boost. Now, is Barkley a superstar? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But the reason he's number four, not number three, not number two, and certainly not number one for me, is because this is not an offense that I expect to be consistent. They're going to have games, like when they play the Redskins or they play a couple other teams throughout the year, they're going to have games where they blow up. Um, And... Then, you know, Daniel Jones will have his Tampa Bay Buccaneer games like he did last season. There's going to be games where, because when all those weapons are healthy and on the field, they have very good weapons. They should be able to move the ball at the NFL level with, with without a doubt. And I love Slayton. You know, I love Shepard. I think Tate is fine for what he is. I think he brings a veteran presence to that team. Uh, and then you have Evan Ingram, who might be the biggest mismatch of all as far as the pass catchers go. So they have a lot of weapons. They should be able to move the ball as long as they are healthy on the field. But one, I don't trust that they're going to stay healthy all year long because, well, they haven't. They haven't been able to do it at any point in their careers so far together. Um, And number two, like I said with Jason Garrett, because he's not very creative, because he doesn't make a lot of adjustments and he's notorious for that, because he's widely conservative, if things don't go their way, if they're not going smoothly, I have no faith that they'll be able to coach themselves or adjust themselves out of a funk. And that's going to make that offense at times very inconsistent, very inefficient. And when you have an inefficient offense, it affects the running back position. This has been noted time and time again, I think at this point, it affects the running back position more than any other position on the field as far as their production goes. It doesn't seem to matter how great they are. If the circumstances around them are poor, it's very, very hard for a running back to still be great, even with poor circumstances around. Not impossible, but very much more difficult, let's put it that way. So when you talk about guys like I have at number three, Ezekiel Elliott, or I have at number two for half-point scoring is Alvin Kamara, and we're going to get to that in a second. But when you have those guys, those guys are on much better offenses that are going to be positions to score. And Ezekiel Elliott's case, I don't see why his workload is drastically different than Saquon. Saquon might out-touch him by a little bit because the the ball the, the offense doesn't necessarily have to throw through flow through Ezekiel Elliott the way it has to flow through Saquon Barkley, but it's not going to be drastically different. We're still talking about a three down back who's going to get a lot of carries and a lot of targets, but the offense is going to be much better. It's going to be much more efficient. It's going to put in much better chances to score, have more opportunities to score than Saquon is. Saquon's going to be great again. Number four. Not just running back, but number four overall. The all these five guys we're talking about—they're not just my top five running backs; they're my top five players overall. But I'm going to take the better offenses that I trust to stay more consistently high-scoring throughout the season. Then I'm going to with Saquon and the New York Giants because I have a lot of trepidations about Jason Garrett and that team in general being able, its its overall health and how good that team's really going to be. 
Now, the, the one thing I will give Saquon, or I, I should say the one thing I will give that offense in general, is that I don't expect much improvement from that defense. So they're going to be pressing situations where there's going to be a lot of high volume. And, you know, even if you're in a situation where you're going to throw the ball a ton, uh, when you have a guy like Saquon, that's not a negative. So, yeah, he has one of the highest floors on anybody. He, As far as God-given talent, he might be the most God-given talented running back in the NFL. But it's a situational aspect as to why he falls number four. But it ain't by much. It ain't by much. Like I said, number three is Ezekiel Elliott. He's as durable as they come. He's as consistent as they come. You know you're getting a top three running back whenever you draft Ezekiel Elliott. You know this offense is going to be a high-scoring offense throughout the season. All the pieces are in place. He's going to have plenty of opportunities. And with Ezekiel Elliott, what makes him very dangerous, what makes him very scary to me, is that he's going to be in a situation now where he's never going to see more than six or seven guys in the box because when they go through receiver sets with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb, and Dak Prescott's throwing the ball around in his second year under Kellen Moore's system, uh, Ezekiel Elliott's going to tear through defenses. Is that offensive line as good as it was without Travis Frederick? No. Is this still one of the better offensive lines in the NFL? Absolutely. And he combined that with Ezekiel Elliott facing only six, seven-man fronts at most anymore because you can't afford to put anybody else in the box because of those three receivers. I'm going to take my chances that Ezekiel Elliott is going to get back to his explosive numbers of what he had two years ago. Remember, last year was a little bit weird. He had the holdout. He didn't get off to the hot start that we're used to him seeing. He wasn't quite in football shape when he came back. Elliott is going to be just fine. Elliott, this season, he's rock and roll. He's ready to go. There is no holdout issues. He is he is going to be in every position to be able to take advantage of this, what should be a high-scoring offense. And like I said, he's just as durable as he come. Of all the running backs outside of Christian McCaffrey in this top five list, I don't think there's anybody I trust more to play a full 16-game season than Ezekiel Elliott. Um, one quick thing, I did... I did Realize I forgot to mention the holdout situation with Dalvin Cook. Um, obviously, he reported to camp. But that was because, you know, with the way the new CBA rules are, if you don't report, uh, you pretty much lose your free agency eligibility or at least a year of your free agency eligibility. They make it really hard for you to actually hold out nowadays. We haven't heard much about it. Uh, he reported that first day. There was still talk that they definitely want to get a contract done before the season goes. Uh, but because the Minnesota Vikings haven't, have just started, I should say, they have started, but they have just started kind of practicing. We haven't really heard too much about what Dalvin Cook is really doing. Is he not practicing? Is he doing this thing and stuff? So our expectation is, as of now, that we think Dalvin Cook is not going to miss any any games this season. Our expectation is that his holdout is not going to be a real holdout. It's going to be more of, I want a contract done. I'm making a note I want a contract done. But we're not worried about him actually... Um, actually missing games or holding out for a long period of time throughout training camp. So we're not too worried about that. That's why Dalvin Cook doesn't move down for us at all. Just a kind of quick tidbit. I forgot to mention that. Now, our number two running back is Alvin Kamara. Now, I understand why this one gets a lot of uh, flack, let's say. There seems to be a lot of people on both sides of the aisle for this one, though. Look, Alvin Kamara has never been a guy who is going to be high volume as far as carries go. But when you actually add in his carries and his expected receptions, you're still talking about a guy who does wind up getting somewhere between 270 to 300 touches overall. 
because he gets so many receptions because he's he's basically a glorified wide receiver who also gets nearly 200 carries a game or a game sorry a season so he's and because of his high efficiency because of that offense he's never been a guy who's needed more than that now I do think he this year he gets over that 200 carry mark that he hasn't been able to do uh, this season thus far but last year was his most inefficient year and you know as reports have come out recently he's been talking about how his knee was much more significantly injured than anybody knew and it was pretty much he said shredded essentially not shredded in the same in the sense that he had a torn ACL or MCL because if he did he wouldn't be able to play at all but that he was much more injured than just the high ankle sprain that we knew about that we figured was hindering him all throughout the year. And when you watch a tape, he doesn't look like the same Kamara that we saw the previous couple of, of seasons. So it does line up that he was dealing with, we all thought it was still the ankle injury that never quite fully healed properly, but it, it does add up that there might have been some kind of knee issue because his explosiveness, his efficiency was just all down, all career lows for Alvin Kamara all the way across the board. He's fully healthy now. Every report says he's explosive. Every report out there says he's back to being his old self. And this is an offense that I expect to be even better with the addition of Manuel Sanders, the second year with Jared Cook, Drew Brees being back and hopefully not banging up his thumb, Michael Thomas, you know, got a record holder coming back. And with Alvin Kamara, I just see this offense being able to be a high-scoring Saints type of Sean Payton offense where Kamara's going to be able to do a little bit of everything. And now that you have Emmanuel Sanders... Teams are not going to be able to just put in a defensive game plan to try to take away Thomas and then take away Kamara because they know what's coming. Sanders opens up a lot of doors. He takes a lot of attention away. He keeps the defense to have to be have to play you respectably. They can't they can't just tilt. They can't tilt towards Thomas. They can't tilt towards Kamara in their game planning because they have other weapons like Cook, like Sanders, are really going to be making you pay if you do that, and that helps out Kamara tremendously I think there is a game plan to give him a few more carries this season I do have him for about 220 225 Uh, and if he gets that along with his normal workload as far as receiving goes and he gets back up to not quite his efficiency numbers but close to his efficiency numbers being on the safe side projecting this thing we're talking half point PPR yeah he's going to get enough of everything where he should be the number two running back in fantasy football when it comes to half point. And I'll tell you right now, I got him at number two for full point PPR. The only one I don't have him at number two is standard leagues. And I think you can figure out why from there, because with the receptions not counting as much, it works a little bit differently. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Uh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. 
This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. But there's nothing not to love about Alma Kamara. This is a guy who's on pace for 910 yards and six touchdowns and 93 catches and 600 yards receiving last year. Had he not gotten on, that was, that was the pace that he was on, even with his injuries, even with his banged up knee, even with him playing at low efficiency numbers, still on pace for 1500 yards and eight touchdowns total. And that was a worst case scenario. I shouldn't say a worst case scenario, but that was Kamara's worst year. That's what's incredible about that. That's why we expect Kamara to have a big-time season to bounce back this year and and just, just flourish and be a superstar and be number two. And that, that's why we're so confident in that. That's why we have him above Zeke. We have him above Saquon. I get a lot of flack for that. That's fine. That's fine because he... He is that good in that offense that people just don't realize. His efficient, he's the most efficient running back in the NFL, period. When he's right and he's getting his touches, he's the most efficient running back in the NFL. There's nobody who even comes, he even comes close to the amount of numbers he's able to put up on the lower volume that he gets compared to some of these other guys in this top five. And that's what we expect to go, get back to this season. And we expect it to be even more open for him this season with some of the additions that the Saints have been able to make. Plus, the Saints might be the best team in the NFC uh, this year as well. Something else to kind of keep in mind. Number one, not much to say here. Christian McCaffrey all the way. Um, they're actually getting some new, we're actually getting some breaking news now. Not huge news, but Denzel Mims, the rookie wide receiver for the New York Jets, injured his hamstring while running routes in practice today. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, we'll see how bad that hamstring issue is, and we'll get back to you. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow for all those player news update notifications that will be coming out. But that just happened uh, just now while on the show. So make sure you guys knew about that. Now, back to Christian McCaffrey. It's a new offense, Matt Roll, uh, you know, and you got Teddy Bridgewater, Joe Brady. That's what I was trying to think of, offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. And you have a lot more receiving weapons with Robbie Anderson getting added into the mix of a DJ Moore and a Curtis Samuel, and Ian Thomas is still there. This offense is still going to flow through Christian McCaffrey, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have as many carries as he did last season. He might lose some carries there. I don't expect him to lose targets, though. This is going to be a three-receiver set, throw it around a little bit more offense, a little bit more efficient, uh, a little bit more creative as far as getting mismatches go. But the offense is going to throw through Chris McCaffrey. We all know this. And he doesn't need as many carries as he did last season. He doesn't necessarily need as many targets as he did last season to be able to put up similar type of numbers. Now, if I'm a betting man, are the odds that Chris McCaffrey is going to be able to go 1,000 and 1,000? This year, no. He'll probably fall short of that. But will he be close? Probably. As long as he doesn't get injured, I see no reason why he would not be close. This is an offense that's going to be putting their foot on the pedal to the metal because their defense is going to be terrible this season. They're going to have to score a lot of points. Teddy Bridgewater, uh, we've talked about him at length as far as what we think his potential could be. But if nothing else, I do trust him to check the ball down to Christian McCaffrey a healthy amount even if he does try to be more aggressive this season. So uh, there's nothing to worry about as far as I'm concerned with Christian McCaffrey. There's no reason in my mind to think that he can't be the RB1. His floor is just its just so high. With the, with the level of involvement that he is in the rushing game and the passing game and 
what he's able to do and the surprising uh, talent that he has at the goal line for being a smaller type of back. I mean, there's just, like I said, there's not much to say. There's really no reason in my mind not to expect Chris McCaffrey to be able to maintain his crown for a third year in a row as the RB1, other than it's just not something that happens very often. It's not very often that a running back is the RB1 three years in a row. But it's also not very often that it's a guy who went two years in a row who's this young in this good of a situation. So that is why when it comes to Christian McCaffrey, there's no reason to expect him not to be the RB1 in our opinion. Next up, we're going to be talking about the top five busts. But before we do that, I do want to talk to you guys about a sponsor of the show called PropMe. Now, PropMe, they are the new innovative gaming platform, really the first of its kind. PropMe makes betting from person to person more easy than ever. Designed for new and experienced gamblers alike using straightforward prop bets that can literally be created on anything. You want to bet on what that next play will be? Then create a prop. You want to bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong? Then create a prop. It takes hanging out with your friends to a whole new level. Join today by downloading the PropMe app or go to PropMeLLC.com. Now for the five busts. I, I'm, I'm excited for this segment. I think I'm going to get a lot of backlash on this segment. It's going to be interesting. But we're going to go through why. Just, you know. Like we always do, we always explain the reasoning behind everything, why we see things differently or why I see things differently here at the MD's Fantasy Football Show than the mainstream consensus on a lot of these guys. And starting off with number five is Nick Chubb. Now, I'm going to qualify this, and I've talked about this in other shows where we've done you know, top, you know, best five, bus five, and sleeper five for different positions. Um, not all these guys that I say are busts necessarily are guys that I think that are going to lose your league or ruin your team. Not everyone falls under that heavy of a bust category that sometimes gets related to that term. Uh, with Nick Chubb, he's one of those guys that's more of a, I think, an overvalued player in a critical part of your draft, which is why I want to talk about him in the bust segment then he is somebody who's actually going to ruin your league. I don't think there's going to be any point in time that you are upset that you have Nick Chubb on your roster. So that's what I want to make sure is made clear out the get-go uh, before you guys jump down my throat for that. But what I do think, like I said, is that he's a little bit overvalued. His ADP is RB8, which means, arguably speaking, he could be a first-round pick if you want, if your league went heavy running back, whether it's a 10-team or a 12, 12-man league. Um. And I think that's a mistake. We have him ranked for half point PBR. We have him ranked at running back uh, 15, I believe. If I can pull it up here real quick. Yeah, with 16, excuse me. We have, run, we have running back 16 and half point PPR leaks. And all I'm really saying here is that to me, Nick Chubb has to be more of a mid to late round, second round pick rather than being a late first round, early second round pick. And the reason that it's important in my mind to make that distinction is because there needs to be more light shed on Kareem Hunt and what his realistic expectation of production and workload are going to be this season. Now, there's been some reports coming out that I think have started to skew people or bring some people's attention to that fact 
that Kareem Hunt is going to be more involved in this offense than he had been than people have been expecting him to be up until this point, I believe. Which I didn't understand why it wasn't just a foregone conclusion to begin with. Even if you want to throw out last year at the end, where Kareem Hunt had 44 targets to Nick Chubb's 14, and he played, you know, 75%. He had 75% of the receiving work load while Nick Chubb had 75% of the rushing workload when both of these guys were on the field from week 10 on for the rest of the season. Even if you didn't recognize how much Kareem Hunt was on the field then, because you want to throw it out because it was a different coaching regime. Okay, that's fine. I'll give you that one. Because a lot of things can change in a different coaching regime. And Kevin Stefanski doesn't have a long history. And the history that he does have is utilizing Dalvin Cook as a bell, as a bell workhorse back. Right? Not using necessarily a committee. Alexander Madison would only come in when the games were pretty much blown out or Dalvin Cook was nicked up. But Kareem Hunt... I think we can all recognize Kareem Hunt was a starting running back on another team. We'd be talking about Kareem Hunt possibly in the top five for fantasy football drafts because we would be talking about him on a star level. This isn't just a mere backup we're talking about. This isn't Alexander Madison. This isn't a rookie coming in who we all know is coming in for the purpose of being a capable backup. No, 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 no. This is a starting borderline, dare I say it, superstar running back on any other team besides the Cleveland Browns. This is not a guy that you can just relegate to a backup role and just keep him on the bench. You'd be out of your mind to do it. And they're not going to. And there's been some reports about, you know, some beat writers talking about that they think that this offense's best course of action would be to give Dick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both 15 carries each a game and run the ball like crazy and have them splitting the work, essentially, is what they're, is what they're uh, in, insinuating there. Now, they're not going to split the work as far as carries go. They might split the overall work because I do believe Cream Hunt is going to be the main receiving back because, frankly, while, while I think Nick Chubb can catch the ball and while I think he can be more utilized in the passing game than what he has been throughout his career, it hasn't been the case thus far. And, I don't, and when you have Cream Hunt, who is definitely a better pass catcher, definitely a better receiver, better route runner than Nick Chubb is, then I don't see why you're not going to utilize him to that skill set at the very least. So with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, when we're talking about the split, yes, I expect Chubb to get the bulk of the carries. That, that's not a question. Never, never, never has been. But I expect Kareem Hunt to get the majority of the receiving work, and I expect them both to get in on each other's work as well. I have them for about a 65-35 split as far as the carries go, with Kareem Hunt getting 70% of the receiving work to Nick Chubb's 30 I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I think that's a reasonable expectation given their skill sets and what this offense is going to be and how run-heavy or how running back-heavy, I should say, because even when they're passing the ball, they're going to look to use the running backs a lot in that aspect as well, that this offense is going to be utilized around. It's going to flow through the backfield. They have, Yes, they have guys like OBJ and Jarvis Landry, and they, ha- they signed Austin Hooper, and they still have David Njoku, but this offense is going to flow through Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But because of that, because Nick Chubb's receiving work gets slashed down, because Kareem Hunt is as good as he is and is going to get some carries taken away from Nick Chubb on top of it, there is only so much to Nick Chubb's ceiling. He doesn't have, to me, in my opinion, a top 10 ceiling. Does he fit the system perfectly? Yes, 100%. 
Is he an excellent, talented, young running back? Yes, 100%. But it doesn't matter if you're not getting the same workload as a lot of these other guys, especially in the receiving game when you're talking about half-point and full-point PPR leagues. That's immensely critical when you're talking about a top-notch back. It's one of the reasons Derek Henry falls so far in our rankings when it comes to half-point and full-point PPR leagues as well. And in Kareem Hunt's case, I don't think... We're going to talk about him in a little bit too, but I don't think he gets enough recognition for what he might be bringing to the table. If he's getting 8 to ten, eight to 12, let's say, carries a game, and he's getting 5 to 7 targets a game, we're talking about a guy who's going to be a flex play week in and week out. This is going to be one of the few backfields that you could own Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt have a high-end RB2 and a flex player every single week by playing these two running backs on the same team, and you wouldn't have to worry about it. The level of involvement of Kareem Hunt limits the ceiling of Nick Chubb, plain and simple. He can't be a top 10 running back, a top 10 player overall, while Kareem Hunt is getting a significant amount of the work, especially in the receiving game. Can't do it. So that's why we have Nick Chubb as our number five bust, but it's really more of an overvalue than anything else. I just don't want you guys wasting your first round pick on a guy who doesn't have the same type of ceiling as a lot of other guys do that we have ranked in that same territory. I want you to be careful and mindful of that. Now, moving on. But like I said, no one's going to be no one's going to be uh, upset that you have Nick Chubb on your team. I want to make that clear. Moving on, our next bust, number four. And this guy's going to go hand in hand with our number one bust. But this is Marlon Mack. At number four, his ADP is 31. It's way too high. Uh, we're, our, we have him as the 45th running back overall. This is a guy who had 18 carries per game last season, but wasn't very involved in the passing game. And because of that, again, talking about a guy who automatically loses some ceiling potential from a fantasy standpoint because he wasn't utilized in the past game. I still don't understand this to this day, though, but just as a quick side note, because when Marlon Mack first came into the league and he was the backup running back, he's the change of pace running back, they seemed to have no problem throwing him the ball, and he consistently made big plays off of that. I don't know why, just because you have a guy like Naeem Hines that suddenly Marlon Mack's not allowed to be involved in the receiving game anymore. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm speaking to last year. But that was the case. That was that was just how it went down. And we expect something, something similar, which is another reason why we have Marlon Mack as our number four bust, while we don't think he can really return the value of an RB3. He's more of an RB4. Between Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines... I don't know how you have any confidence that Marlon Mack is definitely going to average more than 12 touches a game. And being that he was a good but not great running back on 18 carries a game last season, I don't see how he can give you flex territory numbers, which is what he's being drafted at. And it's really hard because we expect this to be a decent offense. We expect this to be a very good offensive line. He doesn't necessarily need 20 touches to be efficient because he does have some big playability. But between his injury history, between the fact that it's going to be a three-headed monster, I don't understand why you can draft him with confidence as your RB3. Now, your RB4 with some upside? Sure. Is he still technically going to be the starter week one? Yes. And we're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. That's why I don't go too deep in just just more than Matt because, like I say, he goes hand-in-hand with our number one bus on the board. 
But again, guys, it's simple math in situations like this. There's only so many touches you can get, and there's only so much you can do when you're only getting so many touches. So I want to save it more for when we get into our number one, but our number three that we want to talk about is Philip Lindsay. ADP again, 35. We have him ranked at 55. This is another guy I don't I don't get it. I look, is you want to make the so I make the argument about Kareem Hunt being too good to just be a backup. Is Philip Lindsay, does he fall in that same similar category? Yeah. Yeah, he does. I think he's too good to just be a mere backup. You're talking about a guy who ran for a thousand yards the past two seasons in a row. But it's fallen into a weird situation. And if you get, we've been getting conflicting reports pretty much all throughout this process on top of it, which hasn't been helping matters in any kind of way. You bring in Pat Shermer to be the offensive coordinator, which I think is a great move by the Denver Broncos. I think he fits with, with, with players they have, with skill set players they have. But he's notorious for using primarily one back. You bring in Melvin Gordon, and in today's age, with the running back position, paying about $8 million a year is a significant sum. You start off the spring saying that Melvin Gordon is a three-down back. He's your guy. Now, as we got closer, the running backs coach, not the head coach, not the offensive coordinator, the running backs coach talks about how Philip Lindsay should still be involved and should still be 50-50. But we know the running backs coach don't always have a lot of say when it comes to playing time for these guys. But that's the only person I've even heard made a comment about Philip Lindsay having a true committee share with Melvin Gordon. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to just be a mere backup and Melvin Gordon's going to be the super bell cow who gets 300 touches. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's never been his game. I don't expect it to be this time around. But what I am saying is that he's going to be a three-down back in the sense that he's going to get first and second down, third passing down work. He's going to get goal line work. So while Philip Lindsay might be a more involved backup than most, I don't believe that this is a committee. I don't believe it's a true committee. I don't believe it's going to be enough of a split for it to be a committee. The big thing what hurts Philip Lindsay a lot is when we talk about the receiving work. This is a guy who can catch the ball. This is a guy who's pretty good out in the open field, but it's been well documented. He is so poor in pass blocking, mostly to do with his own natural physical stature, which gives him some limitations on being able to pick up linebackers coming off the blitz. So it's not really all, I'm not saying it's all his fault from a mental aspect. But because of that, we go back to the last couple of years. How much has Royce Freeman, who's not anywhere near the explosive back of Philip Lindsay is, especially out in the open field, how much was he in on passing downs, on two-minute drills, on, on no-huddle offense? How often was he in? He was in a lot. Even though they know he's not their best playmaker, even though they would probably rather have Philip Lindsay back there to be able to throw the ball to, to actually have a chance to make something happen because he's just so much more explosive, they had to have Royce Freeman back there a lot because, well, Royce Freeman could actually keep the quarterback protected. He could actually pick up the blitz. So that's a big reason why with Melvin Gordon, I think it's huge that they signed Melvin Gordon and brought him in. And I think it kills Philip Lindsay. Looking up what I have for their splits now, I have Gordon getting 60% of the work across the board with Lindsay getting 30%. I have additional 10% going to Royce Freeman just because he is still on the roster. And if if he is still on the roster week one, I do think that somebody who might come in for, I don't know, three to six touches, three to seven touches a game, 
just something, a little caveat. I still believe that they are looking to try to move on from Royce Freeman, try to trade him if they possibly can, because he does, in theory, have some value being that he's still a younger running back and doesn't have a lot of you know work on his tires. But yeah, there's no Melvin Gordon's going to get more than fifty percent of the work for the running back position from carries and receptions, which is why I don't believe that this is a committee in any kind of way. What I envision is this. For every two series that Melvin Gordon plays, Philip Lindsay would play one. But then here's the caveat to that. Even if that winds up being the case, then there's going to be certain situations where Lindsay comes out. Third and longs. Goal line situations especially. Even if it is Philip Lindsay's series, he probably won't be in on those situations during them. Puts a big limitation on his on his on his potential. And if you're wondering where I'm picking up, I'm picking it up from the coaching staff. I'm picking it up from Pat Shermer. Picking it up from the GM. What they expect out of Melvin Gordon, why they made the investment, what they see out of this backfield, how they want to utilize these 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 skilled players. Melvin Gordon's backfield. So to draft Philip Lindsay is ADP 35, you're talking about, again, talking about an RB3, talking about a guy who's in flex territory. He's a handcuff. He's nothing more than a handcuff. He's not going to get, he's never going to get enough work to put you in a situation to feel like, you know what? It's not a bye week. It's not an injury situation. And yet I still feel like I can play Philip Lindsay in the flex. Not going to happen. Never going to happen. So draft him accordingly. Why is this guy going before the tenth before the tenth round? It makes no sense, especially to people who don't have Melvin Gordon in the first place. He's a handcuff, and he's only valuable to the Melvin Gordon owner. Period. That's it. This isn't a committee, and that's why he's our number three bust. Our number two. This is going to be good. Now, this is one that is fluid. I want to start off with that. It's fluid because we this is a big this is a big reason why we need to see training camp. This is a big reason why we need to see what these guys are workloads looking like when they finally uh, get going, get practicing on a consistent basis. How how teams, how coaches are going to want to use them. But our number two bust is Cam Akers, and I know everyone wants to lose their mind, but Cam Akers is so good, and he's got a chance to start and. Uh, Daryl Henderson's crap, and Malcolm Brown is crap. Yeah, that's a misnomer. Now, is Cam Akers good? Yeah. Look, if you go back on this podcast, back before the draft, before any of these guys were even taken, Cam Akers was my number four running back overall heading into this draft class. And to what, to me, was a stronger draft class for running backs uh, than people realize. Everybody got swept up in the wide receivers, and I'm looking around like, hey, I saw a lot of talented running backs. I had Cam Akers ranked in front of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as far as a running back talent from going from college to pro goes. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is my fifth guy. I had Cam Akers ahead of him. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. There's a couple problems with makers, and I've talked about some of this before. But number one that I have talked about before, so we'll just say it first here and get it out of the way, is that of all the running backs, he was by far the worst running back that I gave a grade to as far as pass protection goes. That is a big issue with rookie. I'm going to keep saying it again and again. It's a big issue with rookie guys. Now, someone brought up the argument to me. It's like, well, isn't that an issue with all rookie running backs? And I was like, yes, to some degree. All rookie running backs have to get better at the NFL level because they haven't seen NFL schemes yet, and they have to learn that. Yes, that is much as true. But there are some running backs who are already pretty good at it or also, and sometimes a lot more importantly, more physically gifted along with having the mental capacity for it that are able to get ahead of the curve early, a la Ezekiel Elliott, a la Saquon Barkley. A la Christian McCaffrey, he just was already a naturally good pass protector coming out of college. Those type of guys. So yes, there wasn't a learning curve for those type of guys, but those type of guys are rare. Those type of guys are generational talents at the position coming out. And those type of guys were drafted early in the first round as a result of that. McCaffrey, Elliott, Barkley. Everyone talks about how a running back going in the second round is like a running back going in the first round nowadays. It wasn't that long ago that these guys were drafted and these guys went not just in the first round, but early in the first round, top five, top 10 for Chris McCaffrey. So when you have a full skill set like they do, yeah, it's not going to be as much of an issue. It matters more for certain rookies than others, especially ones that aren't very good at it. Cam Akers is terrible. He's big enough for it. So whenever he does get the mental aspect of pass protection down, I think he will be fine, which is why I think he's going to be very, very good in year two and year three. I just question this year. I question how much he's going to play in certain situations. And that's why I have him so low. So I haven't gone through the ADP in the ranking yet. His ADP is 29. So one of the higher end RB3s, mid-level rb three. Hold your breath. We got him ranked at 54. We are that low on Cam Akers compared to everybody else here. Or everybody else, I should say, in the fantasy industry. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. First of all, like so I talk about the pass protection, and that's going to affect his playing time definitely in certain cruiser situations because he's not going to be in on third and longs. He's not going to be the receiving back because of that. Because of that fact. Not going to be there on two-minute drills. Not going to be in there in no-huddle offenses. Not going to be his game. Not his first year, anyway. That's going to be Darrell Henderson. I And the other thing I struggle with, too, is everyone wants to make a big deal that they took Cam Akers in the second round. They took Darrell Henderson in the second round last year. And I remember last year being on this same boat of... I having Darrell Henderson in my bust five because everybody was convinced that Todd Gurley was ready to fall off a cliff and Darrell Henderson was going to take over at some point 
or he was going to be in a heavily utilized committee, or that he was even going to play. And I kept having a harping on the fact that I was like, Darrell Henderson is nothing more than a handcuff, and I harped on the fact that he wasn't the handcuff. Malcolm Brown was. And I knew that going into the season because of the way they paid Malcolm Brown to come back. And if you actually pay attention to the depth chart and not just look at what you think the projected depth chart should be or what you think the players should be utilized and actually pay attention to the reality of the situation, you would have seen that Darrell Henderson was the third string running back the entire year, which is why he didn't play very much. It's a similar situation going into this season. Darrell Henderson was a second-round pick. Just because you're a running back drafted in the second round, it does not give you an automatic path to loads of playing time. And I don't understand why people still operate under the assumption that it does. It's not, it's not an automatic gimme. And with Henderson, he's a very good receiving back who's now been in the NFL for an extra year. I can already tell you that you listening to this show are a better pass protector than Cam Akers is, so Dora Henderson definitely is. And I think he's going to be the one in on those third and long, passing down, two-minute drill, no huddle situations, coming back from behind situations. It's going to be Henderson in my mind. And I think because people, for some reason, because he didn't play that much, have forgotten the skill set that Henderson does have as a runner between the tackles. He's going to be a little bit more involved than just a passing down specialist on top of it. Now, that's just one part of the equation here. Now you go to the other side, you got Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown, who was the number two behind Todd Gurley last year, who was the guy early on in the season when they weren't trying to give Gurley a ton of work, was the guy getting that extra work. He was the guy stealing, vulturing some touchdowns from Todd Gurley early on in the season, guy who already had double-digit touchdowns, and yet could have had more in Todd Gurley, had a few vultured from Brown early on. When it's goal-line situations, when it's short-yard situations, they're still paying Malcolm Brown a pretty little penny, too. They still like him quite a bit. It's going to be Malcolm Brown's role. And I've said this time and time before, I'm not going to be surprised come week one that Malcolm Brown isn't the technical starter. Now, it might not count for much. It doesn't mean he's going to get 18 carries. He's not. Nobody in this offense is. But he's going to have a specific role definitely carved out for him. So when you take away the passing aspect with Darrell Henderson, when you take away a lot of the goal line work with Malcolm Brown, well, what are you left with? You're left with the yards between the 20s on first and second down. Well, that's pretty limiting to what your ceiling could possibly be. That's pretty limiting to extra fantasy point scoring production opportunities. Not to mention, on top of all of that, we're still talking about one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL because it improved in no kind of way this offseason. So even if they stick to more of their two tight end sets that they did towards the end of last season, while it helped, it made them competent, still weren't very good, I don't expect him to be very good again this year. And Sean McVay has talked about using a Kyle Shanahan approach time and time again this year, where a hot hand approach, a rotational approach as far as week to week who the running back is going to be. There is not a clear path 
for Cam Akers to take this job over, especially early on in the season, and who knows how long it would take for him to do that. Because it's not like he's clearly usurping one guy, and it's not like they're, you're talking about veteran people here. Malcolm Brown and Darrell Henderson are young guys. These aren't guys are looking to just get rid of and move on from. Do I think Cam Akers is the future? Yes. Do I think of these three running backs, if I had to pick one to take over at some point in the season, would it be Cam Akers? Yes. He has the most upside of those three because of that fact. But I feel much more confident in the idea that he's never really going to take over at any point this season. And all three of them are going to play a role throughout the year. And from a fantasy standpoint, cut into each other's possible value. Darrell Henderson is the Rams running back I have ranked the highest. And I have him at RB35. Because he's the only guy, not only do I know you're going to get the passing work, but he's the one guy that I think could actually get passing work and between the 20s, first and second down carries throughout the year. Like I said, even even if Cam Akers were to take over the carry workload and take over Malcolm Brown's role as the goal line back, which I think could happen, I still don't see any point in his rookie year where he's consistently the receiving back. I don't see any point in this year where he's going to be a true three-down workhorse back. No point. No point this year. Because you're not going to take that away from Darrell Henderson. He's much better at that aspect. As far as the technicality goes. By the way, I also want to make this clear. I'm not saying Cam Akers can't catch the ball. He he can. He's definitely a receiving guy. He can definitely catch the ball out of the backfield. He's very good in that aspect of it. Um, my my point is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've made this clear at this point, my point is I don't expect him to be in on those situations because of the pass protection woes, because of the development that he has to make in that capacity of the game. If he can catch the ball, they're going to throw him some screens. He's explosive off of that. But yeah, and he tied all together. Not only have a three-horse back, but then you have a bad offensive line. I don't see it. I don't see how you can be so confident in drafting Cam Akers as the RB29 overall, as a guy going in the fifth and sixth round around the same territory as the David Montgomery's and David Johnson's of the world. And you can have any confidence in that whatsoever over those guys who have guaranteed workload volume, where Cam Akers does not. And that similar point we're going to be bringing over now into our number one bust at the running back position Jonathan Taylor yeah Jonathan Taylor is my number one rookie running back he is my guy that I said of in this rookie draft class of all the running backs I think he has the best chance to be the superstar back of this draft class I love his talent. I love his size. I love his speed. I think he can do it all. I think he'd be a true workhorse back. I think he can be a three-down back. Because I've seen this guy. I've watched his film. While he didn't get a lot of opportunities to catch the ball all the time, he's got pretty decent hands. And because he can move for his size, and we all know that now, especially after the 40, if you weren't watching film on him before at Wisconsin, this guy could be at the Ezekiel Elliott's Saquon Barkley's, the Dalvin Cook levels, maybe as soon as next year or the year after. 
But for this season, and this is why I said I didn't want to go too much in deep with Marlon Mack because these, these things go hand in hand. And kind of like the Cam Akers situation, you're looking at another backfield that has a three-way committee. Naeem Hines, they've already confirmed. And this coaching staff has already confirmed this. And even if they didn't confirm it, I think you'd have to look no further than seeing the fact that Phillip Rivers is their quarterback to, to take note that Naeem Hines is going to be the passing down back. He's that guy that Phil Rivers loves to check the ball down to. He fits that mold to a T. And not to mention the fact that Frank Wright comes from a long line of running back by committee approaches anyway. So I don't know why it would be a shock that he would rather rotate everybody. And Marlon Mack, I'm not sure when he'd be... He's one of our bust guys because of the situation he now finds himself in with Jonathan Taylor coming in and then wanting to use Naeem Hines. But I don't know when all of a sudden he became chopped liver from a talent standpoint. I've listened to some people talk about Marlon Mack as if this guy was just not very good. He's not good. Two years back-to-back over rushing for 1,000 yards, he's a guy who has, the, has shown on tape, has shown at time and time again the ability to make big plays. I don't know how you can say he's not good. This isn't chopped liver we're talking about out there. And this is another young guy. Now, the caveat with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, and this is something that Jonathan Taylor has that Cam Akers does not have, is that Marlon Mack has also has an injury history, especially when it comes to soft tissue injuries. So if he falls away at any point, now all of a sudden Jonathan Taylor has that value that you're, you're drafting him at. You're drafting him as a low-end RB2, especially if you're in 12-man leagues. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. That's too high. This, this if he doesn't take over within the first six weeks... This is a draft pick that could ruin your league. Because if he doesn't take over in the first six weeks, you pretty much you drafted a guy in the third round, going more and more consistently in that third round territory, to, meaning he's supposed to be one of your core pieces. And if he doesn't take over that job within the first six weeks, you're not going to get anywhere of the value for him. So even if he, best case scenario, or what you're hoping for, does take over in the playoffs and is a champion winner in the playoffs, you might not be in position to make the playoffs because you put a, you wasted a, a third-round pick on a player like that. It's stupid. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you call me stupid. I don't care if you, if you think that I'm way off base here because Jonathan Taylor's so good. I recognize Jonathan Taylor's talent. This is not what this is about. This is about the reality of the situation. This is about actually having reasonable, logical expectations. Taylor's in a three-way committee. And they've already come out this week, said Marlon Mack's still a starter. Come week one, Marlon Mack is a starter. The reports are going the other way where the coach is talking about Jonathan Taylor could help split carries with Marlon Mack or get some carries with the starter Marlon Mack and said word for word, the starter Marlon Mack. And because Marlon Mack is no bum, I don't believe that Jonathan Taylor is going to take over this job by simply just being better than Marlon Mack. It's not going to take over this job just simply by being more talented. He is more talented, but he's not just going to take over this job by being more talented. Because the only way that ever happens in the NFL is if, if a guy is just bad. in front, If the guy in front of you is just playing bad. With this offensive line and this offense, I don't see when Marlon Mack is going to be playing bad. I don't see it. So unless he's traded, unless he gets injured, I don't see Taylor taking over the bulk of the carries. I think they're going to be a split. 
talked about this before, guys going by a series-by-series basis. I think Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor are going to be a series-by-series basis. And then here's the pivotal key to that. Neither one of them are going to be involved when it's passing down work, when it's third and long with two-minute drills with no huddle offense. Then all of a sudden, Naeem Hines come in, and they're both on the bench. And that's the big killer of them all. Because take Naeem Hines out of the equation. Then I would believe Jonathan Taylor should be going as high as he is. Because if you take Naeem Hines out of the equation, I would bet money that Taylor will be in on passing downs more than Marlon Mack just because of the way they've used Marlon Mack since he's become a starter. Then it would make sense to me. Naeem Hines is the big pitfall here in my mind when it comes to Jonathan Taylor and where he really should be getting drafted. And we have him as running back 44 in half-point PPR leagues. Again, it's simple math. There's only so many touches to go around with a team that has already proven, or I should say has already come out and said multiple times that this is going to be a three-way committee. Get some perspective. Get some realistic ideas in your head about what these guys can do with the situations that they are in. In a perfect world, Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers would wind up on teams where they would be able to get all the work in the world. But that's not the situations they're in. They're in three-way committees. And for fantasy football purposes, if you guys haven't learned from New England Patriots by now, you don't want to touch three-way committees. And when it comes to three-way committees, the guys you do want to touch are the guys who are either getting the red zone goal line carries or are getting the passing work. Not the guys operating between the 20s. More of a dig at Cam Akers and Jonathan Taylor, but three-way committees are a pain. I don't see it. I don't see it. It doesn't make any sense to waste that high of a draft pick on a guy who does not have a clear path to a significant amount of workload this season. doesn't make any sense. Plain and simple. All right. Now the bus is over, and I can't wait to see what kind of... uh, response I get to that. I've already seen some of it with the rankings coming out because of the reflection of that, but I'm glad I get to do this show because then it kind of this is where I kind of get to speak to why those rankings are the way they are. Uh, we do have our sleeper five on the other side, which is always a favorite segment of everybody else's. But before we do that, I do want to talk to you guys about Trophy Smack, one of great sponsors. Commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. There's no other company in the business that does it better than Trophy Smack. They create trophies of all sizes, belts, and rings with a variety of colors with free engraving and free shipping. And now you can get a trophy or a belt if you use the promo code BELLYUP. So click on your Trophy Smack link on Twitter or Facebook or go to trophysmack.com and use the promo code BELLYUP on your order today. Now for the sleepers. Now for the goodies. The goodies. Now for the guys that you can take who are being undervalued and can really do some damage and really surprise people and be able, most importantly, to zag while everybody else zigs, as I like to say. Starting off, number five, had a hard time with number five because I don't like this player. Never have, always thought he was kind of overhyped as far as what his skill set was, what it was he brought to the table. But I have to recognize the situation that he is in. And if the reports are true, what that could wind up meaning. And also, most importantly, in in this particular player's case, his ADP essentially coming for free, also making him a sleeper in the situation. And that person is Jarek McKinnon. 
Now, I am a 49ers fan, but I'm a 49ers fan who has hated, since day one, the signing of Jerry McKinnon. Because I've always thought this was a guy who was always going to be injury prone, who was never going to be somebody you can lean on. And the fact that we paid him the amount of money that we did was was asinine, in my opinion. He's back. He takes a pay cut so he can stay on the roster. You do have Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman ahead of him, so you want to talk about three-way committees. But this is a guy who's coming for free. His ADP is running back 87, meaning he's probably not getting even getting drafted in most of your drafts unless you're in deep ones or best ball ones, which kind of brings me to my point about the sleeper. I am open to taking Jarek McKinnon in a 20-round, 18-round maybe best ball league because I recognize that if he truly is healthy, like all the reports are saying that he is, I know because of the way they paid him, because of the way they went after him a couple years ago, I know Kyle Shanahan is infatuated with being able to utilize Jarek McKinnon. I already know that for a fact. And whenever Kyle Shanahan is fat, infatuated with a particular player, it doesn't matter if that player is the best player on the team. He's going to find a way to utilize that player, even if that means playing them over the better player on the team. I mean, look around, guys. There's already reports coming out talking about that you can't pencil in Raheem Mostert to definitely be the starter because they like having Tevin Coleman lead off games more. At this point, can anybody really say to me that Raheem Mostert has not shown that he should be treated as and is the best running back on that roster? But Kyle Shanahan likes Tevin Coleman more. Always has. He is infatuated with Jarek McKinnon. And like I said, this big thing is going to be health, and he hasn't been healthy in two years. Two ACL injuries. I don't know what he has left we still I haven't been able to watch their practices yet so I haven't been able to see him cut in person I can only go off the reports that I'm hearing and what I'm hearing is that he looks like his old form now a lot of that could be coach speak could be camp speak excitement speak we, we all know that that kind of gets played into it but the point that I'm hearing is that if he's healthy and good to go and he looks good enough Tevin Cole and Raheem Mostert are two running backs who didn't get a lot of receiving work or were consistently involved in that aspect of the game and if they're going to make that role Jarek McKinnon's because they think he's good enough to go, and that was what Kyle Shanahan predominantly wanted him for in the first place anyway, well, and all of a sudden, he might have the receiving work all to himself. Could he become a, a specialized receiving back in a Kyle Shanahan offense? It's possible. It's possible. He's a deep sleeper, obviously. Like I said, RB87, we're talking about a guy who may not even be drafted, but we have him ranked at RB49. Because we recognize that there is a role, especially when you're talking about a guy like Shanahan in this offense, that a guy could wind up getting a lot more work than anybody's expecting him to necessarily. And just, you know, taking note of the situation, how these things would typically play out with certain coaches. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. So Jerry McKinnon is our number five sleeper on the board, one of our deep sleepers. Number four. And this kind of goes hand-in-hand with the Cam Akers thing. Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown is our number four sleeper. His ADP is 65. We have him ranked at RB46. And I'm not going to speak too much of this because we kind of harped on this backfield quite a bit already. But it, the reason he's a sleeper is because I expect him to have the goal line situations to himself. I expect him to be, a, if nothing else, at the very minimum, I expect Malcolm Brown to be a touchdown vulture. Along with, like I said, I think he's going to be the actual starter come week one. I don't know how long he'll be the starter for. And I don't know if being the starting running back of the Rams in any particular week is going to mean much when we're talking about a true three-way committee anyway. But I think he's in line for a lot more work in general than people are giving him credit for. Because they just expect Cam Akers to come in and take all of it. And I don't think that's going to be the situation. 
When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Ah, oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Like I said, I see a clear-cut, specialized role for him at the very least when you're talking about Malcolm Brown, which is short yardage lines and goal line situations and being a touchdown vulture. Now, here's what I'll lead off. We are talking about this from a half-point PPR standpoint. And again, running back 65, we have him ranked at running back 46, RB4. We're saying that you know if you're going to draft this guy, you're going to draft him to double-digit rounds anyway. So you're just taking guys that have either you think have some crazy upside given their athletic ability or have situations in front of them where they could be looking at getting more work and have, be in a decent situation because of that to give more uh, return on your investment at that point. You're not, you're not, you know, you're not taking any risk by taking Malcolm Brown there. But what I do want to say is that I like him a lot more in standard leagues, and that should become for obvious situation. I don't know if uh, how many catches he's ever going to have. Um, so if you're in standard leagues, though, I do have him a little bit higher, where I think he is a higher end uh, RB four and a guy who definitely should be getting drafted in those leagues as well. I kind of just want to add that in there. Now, oh, and more breaking news. The 49ers, after bringing Dante Moncrief in for a workout, did not go that way. They brought in two other guys for a workout, and they just signed them. Both Tavon Austin and J.J. Nelson have been signed by the San Francisco 49ers. So they're trying to bring in some speed at their wide receiver position. Uh, so that that's coming through our desk right now as, as we're recording this podcast to you guys. Just to kind of give you a heads up there. All right, so moving into our number three sleeper running back we have chris thompson adp rb 75 we have him ranked as the running back 56 talked about chris thompson a little bit throughout the offseason not too much um the big reason why we have him as a sleeper is because he's paired up again with jay gruden and when chris thompson's healthy and he's with jay gruden he is the unquestioned third down passing down specialist and I think it sucks because I liked seeing Leonard Fournette get a ton of volume that he did last year because, one, I always thought he could handle it and thought that he was always best when you feed him the ball more and more and more as much as you possibly can. I think he's one of those guys who get better with more touches like that. 
Um, and I felt like his goal line situation woes that he had last season would correct themselves to some degree this year. And going into this offseason, before they signed Chris Thompson, I was very, very big on Leonard Fournette being a high-end RB2 and being a guy that I thought could be one of those guys who was not inside the RB1 rankings, who could wind up ending up inside the RB1 rankings. And when I mean that, I mean by like the top 12, top 10 guys by the end of the year, because if you got the same kind of volume, all you need is his touchdown woes to correct themselves, which I believe they would. But now you bring in Chris Thompson, and it seems like a lot of people still think that Leonard Fournette is going to get this crazy volume, and he will carries-wise. But if you think that Leonard Fournette's going to sit back there and get six to eight targets a game like he did last year, guess again. Guess again. I'm not saying he's never going to be in on, on passing down situations or anything like that. I think he will be. But Chris Thompson's going to be in there a good amount. And I think when the Jaguars, inevitably because of their defense and how bad they're going to be, are playing catch-up football and are playing with four receiver sets in the second half, trying to throw the ball like crazy to come back uh, come back into a game or be competitive in a game, I think you're going to see Chris Thompson out there more than you're going to see Leonard Fournette in that situation. Thompson's going to play. Thompson's going to get some receiving work. So we're talking half-point and full-point PPR leagues, and you're sitting back and you're looking for an RB5? You're looking for just a guy who you know is at least going to catch the ball and maybe he can give you a decent little floor if you have to plug and play him for a bye week? I think Chris Thompson fits that, to, fits that mold to a T, I should say. He's with Jay Gruden. If it wasn't for Jay Gruden, I wouldn't worry about Chris Thompson going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But because it's Jay Gruden, I know he's going to utilize him in the passing down game. I know he is. And that's something to kind of take in consideration. And he winds up being a sleeper as a result because it's another guy who I think is a very good depth piece who could help you out in these scoring format leagues that is basically coming for free. Next guy, I'm really excited about this one. And we're not too drastically different from the ADP on this one, but I wanted to mention him anyway because I think he could have, I think he could be. Uh, a lot more valuable than where we even have him ranked. And that's Duke Johnson. ADP, RB49. We have him ranked at RB41. And I honestly, if I had to place money on it, I would bet on him finishing even higher than RB41 by the end of the season. I don't believe for one second David Johnson plays 16 games. In fact, I don't, without having it necessarily right in front of me, I'm pretty sure I have him projected for... Uh, 12 games, if I if uh, if I'm remembering correct, no, 13. I have projected for 13 games, and I think that's generous on my part. I wouldn't be. I think it's. I wouldn't be shocked if it was 10 games or 12 games, somewhere in that range. I think that's me being generous. Look, David Johnson, the back issue. That's not something that goes away, especially for running backs, especially if you don't take off a season. And I'm sorry, but. From all indications, David Johnson was quote-unquote healthy by the end of last year when they had brought in Kenyon Drake. And whenever they brought him in for a few touches, he didn't look like he just lost a step. He looked like an absolute shell of himself. Which is why to this day I still can't figure out the trade with DeAndre Hopkins. But he looks like a shell of himself. Shell, not even close to the guy who was a top-notch running back. Not even close to the guy who looked like he had lost a step from early on in the season. Everybody wants a hard ball. David Johnson was putting up this many points from a, fantasy pers- from a fantasy perspective in the beginning of the season. Yeah, yes, he was. Here, Here's the thing about that. That is a classic example of where 
NFL and fantasy don't mix. Where the the fantasy value that David Johnson has was a hell of a lot more than the NFL value that he has. Because if you actually watch him at the beginning of the season, you could see that he wasn't the same guy, that he looked like he lost a step, but he was getting a crazy amount of volume because they were trying to play the offense a little bit more safer, and he was the only way they were they were able to move the chains on a consistent basis early on in the season. So he's just getting he was getting a nutso amount of volume. And that was why his fantasy standing was so good. But as far as his actual NFL presence, NFL production, he wasn't anywhere near the same player even when he was beginning of the season. And all you have to do is watch a couple of games to see that for yourself. I recommend you look it up on Game Pass. Then he comes back with his back injury, and he, like I said, he looks like a shell of himself. So even if David Johnson can stay out there, I highly question what he has left in the tank, if anything at all. And I pretty much guarantee he's not going to last 16 games. And at least with the way the roster sets up right now. Now, whenever we thought Duke Johnson was going to get an opportunity to be the guy, it never seems to really work out. But if the roster stays as it is right now, which is all we can really base this off of, then Duke Johnson should be in position. Or sorry, yeah, Duke Johnson should be in position to take over at some point when David Johnson goes down. And all that volume go to him. I think he's probably one of the most important handcuffs that own. If you're going to be a David Johnson owner of all the handcuffs out there. And I think he's going to be very good once he gets that opportunity. And I do expect him very much so to get that opportunity at some point this season. So he's somebody you can take late. I do think he's going to be an RB4. And if David Johnson is a shell of himself, it may not even take an injury for Duke Johnson to at least be involved in a significant amount. But this is a bench player who I'm willing to stash on my team knowing that I have a very good shot that he's going to be very, very valuable to me at some point during the year. Our number one sleeper. Now, this isn't a deep sleeper. This is a guy that you're going to be taking early, whether you know you like him or not, early on in your drafts, meaning in the first four rounds. So he's not a sleeper in that sense. But this is a guy who I believe is being tremendously undervalued. And this is a guy I talk about a lot. And that's Ty Gurley, my number one sleeper. Because just how undervalued he's being. His ADP is running back 18, but more times than not, this is a guy I don't see going until the fourth round. (laughs) It's laughable. And it was mind-boggling to me. By the way, we have him ranked at at RB10. Um yeah, we have him in the top 10. What's laughable to me is that this is the same narrative. The whole reason people are down on Todd Gurley is the same narrative that they all had last year. He's going to fall off a cliff. His knees are shot. He's done. He's washed up. He's only going to be in the league for another year. A lot of people thought he was going to be in the league for just last year and he was going to be done after that. And through all that, through the horrible offensive line, through the shell of itself that was the Rams' offense compared to what it normally was in general, he was still a high-end RB2. He still scored double-digit touchdowns. Was it pretty all-time? No, it wasn't. But when he watched the film, there was plenty of times where I saw Todd Gurley be explosive and be able to turn the corner with ease. The biggest issue I saw was Sean McVay's play calling and the the clear fact that that offensive line had regressed to a tremendous level. 
from what it was. Those are the two big factors I saw. It reminded me so much of the Todd Gurley that had to play under Jeff Fisher. When everybody wanted to write him off then, he was coming off, remember, he was coming off the ACL in Jeff Fisher's offense, and everyone said, you know what, Todd Gurley, maybe he's just not a superstar running back. Maybe he's just not going to be able to be that former self, that old version of himself. This guy is still 25 years old. He's not old. We're not talking about a guy in his 30s. Todd Gurley. (laughs) The guy who was an RB1 two years in a row. Had one of his worst statistical years. And everyone says, oh, he's done. He's washed up. His knees are shot. Really? Because we had the same narrative last year. How many games did he miss last year due to his knees? Due to his arthritis that everybody was convinced that he was going to miss all these games or crop up at the last second and, and miss all this time and not be able to take on this workload because of his knees? How, many, how much time did he miss last year because of his knees? Anybody? Zero. Zero games. He missed one game due to a quad bruise. And he played 15 out of 16 games last year. And I would call that pretty durable for a running back. He got more work, more carries, was getting over 20 carries a game as the season wore on towards the second half of the year. If your knees are shot, if you're wearing down, you don't get more work. You don't get stronger as the season goes. You get less. You get less explosive. You get less effective. Todd Gurley did not. He got better. Because they finally started giving the ball. The biggest reason Todd Gurley did not finish as an RB1 last season had nothing to do with his knees, had nothing to do with the offensive line, had everything to do with Sean McVay. The fact that he was not targeted in the passing game, and not just him, but the running backs in general, because even when Todd Gurley wasn't in there, it wasn't like they were targeting Darrell Henderson or Malcolm Brown. The fact that they just did not target the running back as part of the passing game, which had been a big staple of that offense for forever, that helped set things up, was the biggest reason why Todd Gurley did not return the fantasy value that he had previously years. It's not because of the career low, or I should say second, second career low, second to last career low, yards per carry average, because of that horrible offensive line. It was because he was not involved in the passing game like he always had been, and there was no reason for that. Other than there was a clear change in the play calling and Jared Goff wanted to keep going downfield. It was just a lot of weird things with the Rams. It didn't make any sense. It had been nothing of what we had seen before out of the team in general, not just Gurley. Now he goes to Atlanta. The goal back home thing, I don't really care about that, but now he goes to Atlanta who has a young, talented offensive line that if they can stay healthy, should be in, in a situation where they have a possibility to blossom. He signs a one-year contract. I think that was the best thing that could happen to Todd Gurley from a fantasy football perspective. Because now the Falcons have no trepidations about using him up. Who cares if he breaks down? You only sign him a one-year deal. You don't have a financial obligation to this guy past this season. So you can run him into the ground to try to make your playoff and Super Bowl run and not care less. And every time... Every time a running back over the past few years has been in that situation where the team does not have a financial commitment to him and they are clearly the best back on the roster and a true three-down workhorse back, they have gotten utilized heavily because the teams have nothing to lose at that point. 
And this is going to be a very good offense with the Atlanta Falcons on top of all of it in a division that is widely weak at, divi- at, weak at defense. As long as Gurley's involved in the passing game, we know he's going to get double-digit touchdowns. It doesn't matter what happens. He always finds the end zone. As long as he's involved in the passing game, which I have every confidence that he will be, there is no reason in my mind that he cannot finish as a top 10 as an RB1. None. Are injuries a concern? Yes, I'm not saying they're not a concern. I'm not saying that everyone who's worried about his knees isn't in the right to do so. But it's built in already to his ADP. Going in the fourth round. That's stupid. It's way too low. You are giving up a guy who at worst is a high-end RB2, and he proved that last year because that was one of his worst years last season. He was still a high-end RB2. And whose potential is very much still in the RB1 category. And you're letting him slide to the fourth round? No. No. Todd Gurley, I think, is going to shock a lot of people this season with the production he's going to be able to put up in Atlanta. That wraps up the best five, the bus five, and the sleeper five. Real quick, show's going kind of long, but I do have three questions that I wanted to get to from the fans that hit me up on Twitter and on Facebook. Remember, you can always get on the mailbag segment if you call 609-362-2480 and leave a voicemail or hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook at BellyUpMDFFShow. Now, uh, just to kind of move through it quickly here, Steve from Facebook, he asked me in half-point PPR, Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry, or Stephon Diggs? Uh, We definitely have Parker ranked the highest of of that group, but I don't think that should become as a shock to anybody. He's still going to be the number one wide receiver. He showed what he's able to do when you actually allow him to play, Adam Gaze. what he can do on the field, what he brings to that team. You're still talking about a team I think is going to be trailing more times than not. Whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua Tagovailoa, they're going to be locking on to the number one target, which will be Devontae Parker again this season. I have him as wide receiver 20 in half-point PPR leagues, three spots ahead of Jarvis Landry, and the other one was Diggs, and I have uh, and 15 spots ahead of Stephon Diggs. I'm not going to talk about Stephon Diggs too much because next week we're going to be doing the best five, bus five, sleeper five wide receivers, and we're going to talk about Diggs quite a bit in next week's episode next Friday. You know, same time, same place, favorite podcast app, or on any of the streams out here on next Friday. So I don't want to talk about too much about Diggs about why we have him lower than most. Uh, but what I w- will say is just this: Look, Devontae Parker, he has the, the touchdown potential to go over a thousand yards. He can get double-digit touchdowns possibly. He is a true number one perimeter wide receiver in the NFL, and he should be looking at a similar volume uh, this this year that he had last year, I, I would say, quite frankly. He has breakout season finally, um, but this is a guy who's always been very good, and he's just finally showing what he can do when you, you actually allow him to. Jarvis Landry, you know, we don't know exactly how healthy he's going to be for week one, but all indications are he's going to be good to go at some point this season. He's always just, He always just finds a way to be a wide receiver, too. Even in an offense this year, I don't think it's going to be very pass-heavy. Uh, but because it's really just clear-cut OBJ and Jarvis Landry as far as the pass catchers go, I think they'll be able to get enough work between the two of them. And like I said with Landry, it's never flashy. It's never catchy. But it's always somebody who finds a way to finish as a wide receiver, too, and just be dependable for you. So I do like Landry quite a bit. But of those three, uh, definitely Devontae Parker, Steve. Uh, we have Maddie from Twitter asking me, Standard, he has the fifth pick. Does he take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Michael Thomas, or Alvin Kamara? Now, uh, if you go overall rankings, 
we definitely have Alvin Kamara. Uh, we actually have him ranked number two as a standard, right? Uh, excuse me one second. Standard, we have him ranked a little bit lower. But I think we actually have him right at five in standard, if I remember correctly. If I can ever get to it, yes. Yeah, we actually have him number five on the dot when it comes to our overall rankings. Uh, so with, our, with the fifth pick in the first round, we were definitely suggesting Alvin Kamara. Remember, this is a standard league. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire... His value is going to come in half point and full point PPR leagues. This is not a guy we expect to get a ton of carries, but we do obviously he'll be involved. He'll be the majority carry holder, but the big thing about him will be what he gives you in the passing game, and that's going to be his big X factor as far as his fantasy production goes. But when we're talking about standard leagues, you need guys more who are about just yards and touchdowns. It's not really about receptions. It's not about targets. Um, and I still have some questions with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire if he's really truly going to get the opportunity to be a goal line back if that's not going to go to maybe Darrell Williams or DeAndre Washington in certain situations. Uh, Alvin Kamara is proven even in standard leagues when he's healthy, good to go, even though he doesn't get maybe 200 carries, he still gets 90 receptions, he still gets the yards, the overall yards, and most importantly, does get the touchdowns. Uh, he's already proven that he can finish in the top five pretty consistently in standard leagues. Same thing kind of goes with Michael Thomas. Look, in a standard league, it's it's vitally important that you get the best RB1 that you can possibly get. Wide receivers, especially this year, are crazy deep as it is. And if you're not going to get those extra points for the extra targets and receptions, that takes away a lot of the value of Mike, what Michael Thomas actually brings to the table to begin with. Because yards-wise, touchdown-wise, it's not going to be dissimilar to a Julio Jones, to a Devontae Adams, to those type of play, to a Tyreek Hill. It's not going to be dissimilar to that. Um, and it's not going to be, Michael Thomas is going to be so much more valuable than that second tier receivers that I just talked about that you need to take him with the fifth pick overall. Standard leagues, it's all about the running backs. You have to have multiple really good ones and you have to have the best RB ones that you can possibly have. And that is why in standard leagues, you have to go with Alan Kamara. You have to get the best running back you possibly can. So I definitely would not be going Michael Thomas with the fifth pick. Uh, not that he can't go in the first round, but not with the fifth pick in the first round. Last question to talk about Doomsday user handle on Twitter. Who would you rather have week one, Slayton or Ayuk? I thought this question was really interesting because overall, he doesn't say what, so we just look at it from a half point standpoint, PPR, um, half point PPR standpoint. Overall, I would rather have Darius Slayton throughout the entire season than Brandon Ayuk. Because when Debo Samuel comes back and they already have George Kittle and they don't, you know, they don't go heavy to the wide receivers already as it is for San Francisco, I think Slayton's definitely going to finish ahead of Ayuk uh, by the end of the year. I do have him pretty close, though. I have Slayton wide receiver 52, Brandon Ayuk wide receiver 58. But week one, specifically being that that was his question, for week one, I'd probably go Brandon Ayuk. Because the thing about Darius Slayton is that from everything that I had still being indicated to me is that when they go to receiver sets, it's still expected to be Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, given everybody's healthy as the starting receivers, meaning Darius Slayton's only going to be in there when they go through receiver sets, which will still be a good amount of time. Don't get me twisted here. Um, but he's not going to play as much as those other two guys. And it's also not a given that Darius Slayton would be the number one target of Daniel Jones when he's on the field. That still very well should be and probably will be Sterling Shepard. Brandon Ayuk's in a situation that, while he might not be the number one targeted pass catcher, that should be George Kittle, he will be the number one receiver to start the year because we know Debo Samuel may not play for the first month, maybe even a little bit more uh, this season. 
So and just by default, because of the weak receiving core they have, like we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, they just they just literally just signed Tavon Austin and JJ Nelson. They're just trying to find bodies at this point. He's by default going to be their number one wide receiver that they go to at least for week one, maybe for the first month of the season. So if you just specifically want somebody for week one for whatever reason, I think Brandon Ayuk is actually in line for a more trustworthy workload, much more trustworthy target share, higher floor. I should say, than Darius Slayton necessarily is for week one. Uh, but I thought that was a very interesting question there, Doomsday. All right, that's going to wrap up the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back next week. We're back next Thursday because we're doing a mock draft for the half-point PPR. Remember, if you didn't uh, watch or listen to yesterday's show, we did a mock draft for Standard Leaks. And then we'll be back again next Friday for the best five, bus five, sleeper five of the wide receivers. Because remember, we are up to two episodes a week now until the season starts. So everyone have a great day. I hope to see you soon. Everyone stay healthy, and we will be back next week. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're team Team ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.